Anyway, welcome to our family Christmas. Typically, this room is packed, but you know, stupid COVID. So one day we're going to get past all this and we're going to get back to normal. But uh, for you guys that are in the room, we're just going to sing a lot of Christmas songs today. You're more than welcome to stand and sing with us if you want to. You're also more than welcome to sit and listen. Uh, if you're tuning in online, we definitely uh, encourage you to sing there in your living room with us. Sing some Christmas carols with us this morning. Would you like to stand and read this scripture with me? 
And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased.
Christ has come, Christ has come, hallelujah, so let us sing and praise the King, hallelujah.
may be seated. Okay, so another of my favorites this morning of the package was the one you wrote, man. That is so, that is so good. Can you amen that? I mean, I don't know if that's an amenable statement. Oh, it is an amenable statement. It's just, you know, I think Greek for, yeah. That's right. That's what it is. It's like a yeehaw. Well, good morning, everybody. Those of you courageous and daring enough to face the disease, face on. Those of you at home who are being wise, and then we got a lot of people traveling. But Merry Christmas, everybody. Before I uh, jump into that, actually, Happy Advent. Uh, I don't know what the greeting is this season. Congratulations, you survived uh, 2020. But um, before I jump into what I want to share with you this morning, um, I do want to mention that um, with some of the response uh, that we've been getting, as well as COVID resurging and stuff like that, we are going, I've been saying that we're going to have two Christmas Eve services, that's candlelight services at 5 and 6. We're going to dump the 5 o'clock one. We're going to do it just at 6 in-house, and then also it's going to be online. So for those of you at home that are being cautious, uh, I, several of you had asked if we could put it on there. We're going to go ahead and put it on there. And then as you travel, now look, all we have always said, this is a 30-minute service, and, and, and our big goal isn't just for us to worship together and read the story. But our goal is for you to invite your family who otherwise don't maybe celebrate Christ's birth to the degree you do. So now it's even easier. You can watch it at home. And uh, you can put it on between lunch and dinner or dinner and dessert or before any of it. But uh, we encourage you to, uh, as you break the law and have your family into your homes, it's not breaking the law. I'm trying to be funny this morning. It's not working, obviously. But, but as, you, as you have your family together, this is a, a great opportunity to invite them into your family Christmas celebration. So it'll be live. We will be here. If y'all want to come, you're welcome to. The one thing we are going to ask that night, since we're going to one service, is you wear a mask. Uh, and that'll just, uh, just for those that makes others comfortable and, and all that stuff. So what we do on Christmas Eve, for those of you who don't know, is like I said, it's a 30-minute service. We read the story together. The whole pastoral staff is up front and their wives, and they freak out because they have to read Scripture in front. But we read the story. We sing lots of songs together, and then we go out into the evening to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is what this is about. This is our holiday, and uh, we have been over, uh, uh, as you know, we've been going through Advent together. This has been a year like none other. Now, I know you've had bad years. Everybody has them, and if you've been watching our uh, Promises Made series, again, for those who don't know what that is, every night at 7 o'clock, uh, we've had 23 different families of our church that have actually, they've done a five-minute a five minute testimony. You think I'm long-winded. Some of them went 12, so don't ever dog me again. Um, but but they, uh, they have been sharing their story, and they're still archived on there. But just a time in their life when God provided them for them, brought joy and hope in times that were difficult. And we've all had them. We've all had them. Some of us have them coming up right now. We have a family having surgery this week, and we're going to be praying for them and others who have covid Fortunately, we don't have anybody in the hospital right now, but there's a lot of stuff going on. People worried about their jobs and stuff, but God's faithful. God is absolutely faithful, and uh, we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but it's been, it's been kind of a, a crazy year, and uh, we need Christmas. Uh, I mean, the real thing. We need, we need to be reminded of, of what Jesus Christ has, has done on our behalf. For the first time, and I, I grew up like most of you in a non-liturgical setting. I know some of you did. And so Advent to me, as I've said, was always this pre-Christmas thing. It was, it was kind of, um, it was for our, in our house growing up, we would, my mom would buy an Advent calendar 
And what that meant was we would open a little box that would count down to when I got to open my gifts. Any of you have those, the paper ones? Some of you have uh, ones with candy in it. I mean, they're much more extravagant now. Some of them you could buy them for your dogs because dogs love Christmas and has a dog treat in it every day. I don't know what's up with that. Y'all love your animals way too much. But, but uh, some, uh, I thought the, one of the funnier memes this Christmas was there's only two days to Christmas because all my chocolate is gone. After this year, somebody opened them all up and just ate their chocolate. But, but that was Advent to me. I, I really didn't appreciate it. And um, my wife, and, and we've talked about Advent in recent years, but man, has this Advent season been meaningful to me. Uh, for those of you who have been with us for the past four weeks, and this is, we're wrapping up our Advent conversation this week, we've done Advent together. And one of the things that struck me is, I've always kind of asked, and I know this is terrible for a pastor to say, but it's Christmas and you have to show mercy. Um, but I've always kind of wondered, okay, Christmas is cool, but it's just the birth of Jesus. Easter's the point, right? And we all kind of understand that, please. Um, Easter's the point. He died, he was buried, he resurrected three days later, and then he ascends into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for me and encouraging me. But what's cool about Christmas, and it hit me this year, is that Christmas's promise is kept. That's what this is. That's why it's so cool when you study the, the story of the Advent, the, the, which means coming, the coming. Jesus' first uh, coming, and, and there's a second coming, he kept his promise by coming here. Uh, even when it looked like it, it looked like he wouldn't, even when people were discouraged, just like people are now, and God has promised to coming again. So for me this year, as I look back on promises fulfilled, and what we've done is we've looked at some of the characters in Scripture, uh, in the story from Simeon and Anna to uh, Elizabeth and Mary. Uh, to the shepherds, as we looked at their stories, we saw how they found peace and hope and joy in the midst of a very difficult life that they were living. And it was, it's been a great study because it reminded me that no matter how weird this world gets with politics and um, with COVID, and it is, you know what, it has been a weird world, a w year. And it's hard to even remember, Zach showed us a video last night, they were, we did our Christmas uh, last night because Hannah's going to be with her family on Christmas Day and they're going to have an absolute blast. Um, so anyway, uh, but what, one of the things that was cool, Zach showed us a video last night that he didn't think I was impacted by. It was a YouTube video and he lives on YouTube. It's a technical, weird, millennial world. But, but we were watching it and this guy went through all the things we've been through this year. Do you remember the fires in California? I mean, it's hard to even remember that. That was like 12 years ago, right? And, and we had the politics and we had... North Korea reenacts their nuclear program. Remember that? That was weird. And then we had all the marching. That disappeared on, on I guess, on election day. And everybody's marching. Everybody's mad at each other. It's been a weird year. And even if it's been a good year for you, there's kind of a cloud. And, and as Julie and I have talked a lot, and I told her recently she's my favorite theologian, uh, and it's true. Um, I'm sorry, Josh Ferguson. Welcome home, by the way. Is Allie here this morning, or does she not go to church with you anymore? She's, okay, so that's good. Wouldn't it be terrible if they were actually having marriage trouble? That wouldn't be funny, would it? I, I talked to him this morning. Everything's good. Let's close in prayer. Um, but we, um, you know, it's, it's what, what I long for, okay, and I've shared with you that I have, I, I, I have I, I've made a hobby. Some of you fish. Some of you scuba dive. Some of you uh, eat. Um, my hobby is worry. It's my, it's my spiritual gift. 
And everything I've ever worried about, it's working because everything I ever worried about didn't happen. But what strikes me is, as I think about the things that I worry about regularly, they're things that will only be solved in heaven. Seriously. Uh, even if the vaccine works and COVID goes away, you know there's going to be another sickness. Or somebody's going to die of pneumonia next year or the cold or a stub toe that turns into strep. And I mean, it's like, oh, that's Merry Christmas, Pastor. I mean, the, the truth is that hope is only found in the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises. I mean, that, that really is true. You get a great job next year. If in January 1st you get the best job you've ever had and it pays you $5.2 million, don't forget we get 10% of that. But if you get that, just kidding, but if you get that, you realize you can lose that same job a week later. But when we go home, our wealth is secure. Justice reigns. We don't have to fight for it because the king of kings is just. Truth is no longer questioned because the king of kings is truth. Everything that we long for is solved. Everything. I mean, think about what you worry about right now. It's solved in the kingdom of heaven. And the problem is, and the solution is, the problem is that we don't take his second coming nearly as serious as the New Testament Christians did. When we go through Acts, you're going to see over and over that that's what they longed for, his second coming. It's, it's what they talked about with Jesus, and we've studied that the last two years, his return, his kingdom. Well, we have it so good in this culture, in this country, that what we long for is COVID to be gone, is our churches to have the perfect music, is our lives to be perfect, to be like someone else. One of the reasons we did, we chose the people I chose for Promises Kept is because in many of those stories, you've never heard their story. Uh, Dilo was last night. Dolores, who's our receptionist, you talk to her. She's the best member of our staff, no doubt about it. And you talk to her, and she'll spend time with you, and she'll pray with you. Um, I saw somebody nodding when I said she was the best member of her staff. I know who you are, and it hurt my feelings, okay? <laughs> She's just one of the really good ones. Um, but the thing about Dolores is many of you don't know. Um, you may know she was widowed. What you don't know is the story. She told the story last night online. I mean, her husband drowned. I mean, you don't think of Dolores like that. Dolores has joy. But the truth is, there's a lot of story behind there. I'm, I've, I've mentioned it every week, Daryl and Alicia Douglas, because it's hilarious. At the beginning of their video, they said, we didn't realize how tragic our life was until somebody told us it was tragic. I mean, it's, it's true, but the people around you, uh, the Hudsons, and it's, I guess it's okay for me to say, because I wasn't aware of this, um, but... Kevin told this week in his story, I mean, it's Dr. Kevin, the cardiologist in town, you know, but they lost an infant, a baby. What? I didn't know that. Of course not. We, I, I, the, funny, the cool thing about Carpenter's Way is I could have taken 23 more couples, and they could have told stories of God's faithfulness and, and why they walk with God today. And you know, our ultimate hope is not found in, okay, like we think, okay, I got over that. Woo, we survived that. We survived 2020. 2021 is going to be better. The truth is we don't know. 2021 may be better, but 2022 may be worse. And then 2023 may be better. The thing is it's a roller coaster because there's no consistent, but God is the constant. And as we've gone through Advent, I have been reminded. All right, let me say let me, one more thing before I get into our, uh, what I want to share with you. Because it, it, I'm leading up to it, and then it's going to be fast. I think, I think church does Christmas well, church in general. 
the evangelical church. And it's cute. We love to have children singing. I like it too. And especially the little kid who comes up here all dressed in wool like a sheep. I mean, he's so cute. And the shepherds, you know, the staff, and he starts hitting somebody else's kid. That's funny. And if you have a choir, you know, the kid's lifting their shirt, skirts, and mom and dad are devastated because their beautiful little daughter is picking her nose. I mean, it's just a... And we love Christmas for those reasons. Wasn't it wonderful? Was your Christmas, was your family Christmas sweet? Oh, it was so wonderful. The kids were so cute. There's a problem I'm having with that this year. This story isn't cute. It's true. That's a big deal. It's, it's true. Christmas isn't a Christian thing that we do. It's a true thing that happened. God fulfilled his promises to a people that were doubtful. Um, the, the Christmas story is a powerful story filled with wonders and miracles, but it's found within the midst of the very real lives that were being lived 2,000 years ago. The first advent or Christmas is the story of Jesus, God's, God himself, second member of the Trinity, God's only begotten son, meaning his birth child, comes to earth as the most wonderful gift of eternity. And as we have talked through the various parts of the Christmas story these past four weeks, we've explored the intersection of Jesus and the lives of real people that he chose to play a role in that first advent. They were difficult lives. And it's hard for us because of the way we see it on stage and in our mind, and Snoopy and Charlie Brown is cute, we have a hard time realizing just how difficult the lives of these characters were. So we talked about that. And it's very much the opposite of romantic movies and songs of the season that we enjoy today. Together, we have seen God bring hope, love, joy, and peace into very trying times. And we've talked of how he wants to do the same for us today. And so this morning, I'd rather not look at Christmas as a fluffy Christmas Hallmark-like idea. And for those of you who are talking a lot about Hallmark movies because I keep bringing it up and saying that I enjoy them, the very thing that you slam about them are the reason I enjoy them. In the first five minutes, I know exactly what's going to happen in the next hour and 45 minutes and 922 commercials. I'm fully aware. I know who's going to be in love at the end of the story, and I know why they're going to be in love. And I know that somebody owns a cafe and makes great bakery. I know that. I know that there's a guy who sells Christmas trees who's like the ultimate Santa in town. And I know that there's going to be a character that comes in and out of the story, and at the end, he's going to walk away, and you're going to go, oh, that was Santa Claus. I know that, which is why I like it. Because Lifetime movies for women, Christmas stories, are depressing as heck. And why are they depressing? Because it's real life. Real life is hard. This is a season of not of joy for many of us, but sadness for others of us. A time it reminds us of pain in our lives. And for probably most of us, it's a little of both. So I like Hallmark because it brings up romantic ideals that will only be fulfilled in the kingdom. Do you realize all those warm feels you see at the end of the Hallmark movie? Those of you who are daring enough to admit you watch them. Do you know those feelings will all be what heaven's about? You really won't have to worry about where the food's going to come from or who's going to cook it. God's going to take care of everything. 
So in this time this morning, I, instead of talking about fluffy Christian hallmark-like ideas of the season, I'd like for us to briefly review the four major things we've talked about in recent weeks, and I'd like to highlight why Christ's birth nearly 2,000 years ago is even relevant to you today. And if you're watching online or you were invited or put by gunpoint by your mother to come to church today, I want you to know, I'm going to explain, if you listen in the next two and a half hours, if you'll listen, I will explain to you why Christmas matters in 2020. And I'm going to tell you right now, it matters in 2020, and it's not just because of salvation. Stick with me. But it's the same reason that the birth of Jesus Christ mattered 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to give us ears to hear, and then we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the time that we can gather together in this room and online. I thank you again for the technology that allows our family that's traveling all over the place to see family this week. Lord, I know that even this morning there are, there are those who are about to have surgery this week over things that are scary. I know we have family members that are fighting COVID diagnosis and they're scared about that. Lord, I know there are families wondering where the money comes for Christmas or to pay off the debt from Christmas or the next year. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can take a an, an half hour, Lord, and to put our mind on you. And I pray that we'll do that. And I pray for those who don't know you today, that today we would introduce them to the King of Kings, the solver of every problem they could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name we pray for these things. Amen. When we started talking about all uh, Advent, we began by learning that hope can be found in the most hopeless, uncertain seasons of our lives. Uh, with uncertainty all around them, the promise of God sending the Messiah filled Simeon and Anna with unbelievable hope. Hope to carry on. And although the Bible doesn't tell us this, I imagine in the face of everything else going on, they must have looked foolish to go into the temple every day and pray and celebrate the coming of the Messiah. God had promised the Hebrew people that there would be restoration and blessing through such a Messiah. Actually, this promise was first made not just to the Hebrew people, but to all mankind in Genesis chapter 3, where God told Mary that, that through her offspring, she would have a son, and he would crush the serpent's head, although he would bruise his, uh, the serpent would bruise his heel. So the promise was first made to all mankind and then made to the Hebrew people through a series of covenants that God would make. But time dragged on. I mean, between the Garden of Eden, it depends what your historical view is, but there's thousands of years from the Garden of Eden and the birth of the Messiah. In fact, from even the Abrahamic covenant until when Jesus Christ is born, when God promised him clearly that his lineage would have a Messiah, there are thousands of years. So time dragged on from the Garden of Eden, promising that God would crush the serpent's head, to the Hebrew nation. Humanity became farther and farther away from the idealistic garden that God had created for them. The Hebrew people end up exiled and conquered. And as a nation, they were defeated, enslaved, and even ruled by some of the harshest, cruel, evil leaders in the history of humanity. The cry, the cry of the followers of Jehovah ceased to become God send your Messiah to more of a, how long, oh God, are you going to wait? Maybe you felt that. What is going on? The cry of the ancient Israelite people, year after year, century after century was, with no Messiah was, how long are we going to have to wait for you? That's the impetus for Daniel's book. 
If you read the book of Daniel in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, you will find that he had studied Jeremiah's book and he wanted the Lord to return, to set up his kingdom. So as he's praying, God sends an angel to tell him this is how it's going to be laid out. They're all waiting for the Messiah and no Messiah comes. And yet, hope firmly planted in God's promises to send a Messiah, no matter how long it would take, was the fuel that kept hope alive for Anna and Simeon. Anna and Simeon lived expectantly and faithfully, trusting openly and wholeheartedly that God would keep his word. He would keep his promises, though they didn't see it around them, though they never experienced it until they were very old. Their lives were long, difficult lives. They knew both loss and disappointment, and yet they never abandoned hope firmly planted in God's promises. As recorded for us in Luke, the moment they saw the baby Jesus a few weeks after his birth, they immediately recognized him. They know without a doubt that this is the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, the one they had held out hope for. And as we saw, Simeon and Anna embraced this as promises fulfilled with rejoicing and worshiping and spreading the news that he had finally arrived. I want to take a side note, sidebar this for a second. You might be going, okay, that's a great story. What does that have to do with anything? I would like to be the first to acknowledge here this morning that I get a little tired of the church throwing words around that have no bearing on my life. Words like hope and peace. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Yes, hope and peace. We just sang a song about hope and peace. I love hope and peace. I want hope and peace. Anyway, where are we going to lunch? But I want you to realize that with Anna and Simeon, they experienced the hope of God that was firmly grounded in trust that the promises of God would be fulfilled. That's where their hope lied. They had put all of their eggs in God's basket. And because of that, they didn't live in doubt or worry or fear. They knew that just the right time, even in a tough year, that God would show up as he said he would. For us, This has been a tough year, the kind of year that threatens to extinguish hope. How are you doing in placing your hope in God's promises? I mean, I know know this is going to be a tougher message than you're usually on a family Christmas, but it's time for us to have a real honest conversation as, as God's people. And this is a question for me as well. I I think that the answer to that question, because some of you are doing extremely well. But the answer to the question of how you've done in the past 11 and a half months is closely tied to where you place your hope. For instance, if your hope is in political figures or ideals, you are either living in a euphoric moment because your people are back in power in Washington, D.C., or will be, or you are incredibly devastated because God let you down, because your hope was in a man or a conservative party. Your hope may be being starting to come back because of a medical breakthrough that's going to allow you to get one of three virus shot, uh, antiviral shots. You may have placed your hope in your spouse or kids, and except for Julie, that can be a grave disappointment. You're only laughing because you know. Julie and I have a joke in our family that we're always $10,000 short from what we really want. I was going to say need, but it's a want. If you place your hope in income, you're always a little bit short, right? That was it. You can amen that. Just a little bit short. So next year, maybe I can save. And then you buy that thing. I I think I've told you this story before. Our first new car was right, was it after Zach was born or right before? Way before. So I've got the story completely messed up. At one point in our life, we bought our first car. And and I remember I was going to teach Julie, because you know we have 900 keys, 
and I, I was teaching her how not to scratch the trunk of the car. So when you put that key in, honey, you got to watch. you got to be careful. When you put that key in there and you turn it, it'll pop up. Otherwise, and I, put the key, I pulled the key out and I put it down. Otherwise, you're going to just key the car. <laughs> yeah, it was not a good time for me. Yeah, it was pretty. It was always there. It reminded me of God's faithfulness and my unfaithfulness. But that's true. That's, and you've all had stories like that. I mean, it's just kind of weird. You, you get excited about something that breaks. I remember as a kid having toys that I was looking forward to at Christmas, and they'd be broken by Christmas night. You put your hope in those things, and they're, they're fun, but I want to encourage you that no matter what you are facing at this season of your life, hope firmly planted in the promises of God, and I want to be that careful, not the church, not the doctrine of the church, but hope firmly planted in the promises of God will never disappoint. Why? Because they're planted in the promises of God that are going to come to truth. I've got to tell you something. Even if you're not a child of God, even if you think church is crazy, even if you've abandoned all hope, I'm here to tell you that one day I can stand next to you and say, see, we were right. I'm confident in that. God has made promises, and because of Christmas and what I've been studying this year, I have been firmly reminded that God has made promises in the past, and they were starting to be doubted. They were thousands of years in the coming, and the people began questioning whether God would even do that. But he kept his promise at such a weird time and in such a weird way. If you plant your hope in the trusting in God's promises, well, let me read for you Romans 15, 13. Actually, it's on your screen. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not because you desire hope that you get hope, it's because you choose to trust. You no longer, and, and how does that happen? I can speak practically. When I start putting my trust in the promises of God to provide all my needs according to his riches and glory, not my wants, but my needs, guess what? I don't worry about my needs as much because I have firmly planted my trust in his promises. That's not what Mark does. What Mark does is he says, uh, I've got to figure out how to get the church to give more or do this or do that. So if I can just, I've got to think of a way to communicate why it's so important. And while that's still true in vision casting and it's part of what I do, the fact is I should not put my trust in you. I've got to put my trust in God. I work for him, not for you. No offense, I, I could easily work for you. You're nice people. But the truth is, I need to place my trust in the Lord. And when I do, even when I'm scared, even when my world is falling apart, like Anna and Simeon, in the midst of a national crisis, of Roman rule, of personal crisis, they put their trust in God and they waited on Him. Their, their hope was born out of that trust. And that is how you become a hopeful person. That's how you become a hopeful person. Because your trust is not found in solving the problem. Your trust is found in God. And by the way, that's why the New Testament followers of Jesus constantly talked about his return. When are you coming back? Because the disciples didn't put their trust in the Holy Spirit coming and empowering them for ministry. They put their trust in his kingdom. And why would they? Because he said, seek first my kingdom. They were longing for him to make wrongs right. They were longing for him to provide for them. They were longing for him to set up a kingdom in which they would be safe. Just like us. The second thing we talked about was about how we can have peace in the midst of our struggles. Not only can we have hope, but we can have peace. 
Make no mistake, the struggle is real. And I, and I want to keep saying that. You are not foolish if you worry. You're not, a, you're, you're not weak. You're just misfocused. And I think we're all misfocused this year. Some of us are angry that we're listening to the government deceive us. You might be right-wing unfocused or left-wing unfocused. You might be whatever, but we're all misfocused and we're all frustrated. How come people have become such sheeple? You're such sheep. You would do anything the government told you. Yes, I wear pants and I put seatbelts on and I don't yell fire in a theater. There's a lot of things the government tells me to do. And I wear a mask. I really don't know what to believe, whether the mask is effective or not, but I wear a mask so that I can tell people about Jesus without getting distracted. Let me go high and tight for a second. And Josh Ferguson and I were talking about this this morning, but I think the churches, some churches are making a grave error. And you can disagree with me. This is Mark Wilkie's opinion. But I think some of the churches that are fighting for their right to program the way that they want, all they're talking about right now is how the government is quenching their freedoms. The freedoms that we have in Christ are not given by the government, they're given by God. So we do what's right, we teach what's true, we stay faithful to his task, even if it gets us arrested. But we don't get online and brag about it. And right now, I think there's a lot of the church that's whole attitude is, hey, God, you know, we're, we're doing this for God. No, you're doing it for your rights. God works in China and Iran, where there are no rights. And we have to remember that. If you put your hope and your ability to worship freely, you're going to be gravely disappointed at some point. If you put your hope in God that will save you in the end, even through death, then there's hope and peace. The struggle's real, but so is the peace that God offers even in the midst of darkest days. For the shepherd, uh, we, talked about, <laughs> we talked about what an interesting night it was for them. They were blue-collar, rejected, just the simplest of people, and they're out there tending sheep when what's referred to in the New Living Translation, the armies of heaven show up and begin to announce to them not to be afraid. When we get to heaven, one of the first things we need to do is discuss with angels why we're terrified of them. When you're out on a hillside tending dumb sheep who are probably sleeping, and a myriad of angelic warriors show up and say, don't be afraid, we're all going to have to change our diapers. That's terrifying. And Scripture tells us that they were terrified. The shepherds were terrified. And all of the comfort that the, shepherd, that the angels could bring, don't be afraid, it doesn't seem to comfort them. But what they do have to do is listen to what those angels say. And you already read it. Don't be afraid, Luke 2 says. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. What is that? The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. Okay, Christians, just a side note, this is free. I'm not charging you extra for this. Please note that there was no star in the sky for these guys. The Magi are led by the star. Can we please get this right? It's okay, but I just want to point that out. This is the sign. You want to know why he was born in a manger? You want to know why he was wrapped in swaddling clothes? Whatever those are, strips of cloth? Here's the answer. So that they could recognize him by this sign, you will find a baby snugly in wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and laying in a manger. For the record, history tells us that there was only one baby that night in a, in a feeding trough for animals. And God wanted them to worship. So he put his son in a feeding trough. That's why it happened. 
Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So these shepherds had to listen. They couldn't just get in, a, get in a, a, the fetal position and, and stay there. They had to listen to what the angel said in spite of their terror. And what did they hear him say? Over in Bethlehem, the king of kings, the peacemaker is there. And you're going to find him in a, in a manger wrapped, in snugly, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. I'm remembering my fourth grade drama. And he's laying in a manger. Go find him, the prince of peace. And they had to overcome their fear and obey the angels in order to experience his peace. If they stay there, there's no peace. You see, that's what I was talking about in the second thing. You have to overcome, even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of terror, you can have peace. David had that. If you have never read King David's life, it was a royal mess, no pun intended. I mean, a real mess from how he raised his kids to the kind of king that he was, he made a mistake over everything. And yet, Scripture over and over in the Psalms, he writes Psalms of having peace. And you know why he had peace? Psalm 23. It explains why he had peace. Look with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Boy, if you're a Hebrew and you love David, if he's the finest of all kings, and you want to know how to live like David lived, there's your answer. You make the Lord your shepherd. This isn't a death this isn't a death psalm. This is a psalm of information. How did David survive? By making the Lord his shepherd. And he had all he needed. For instance, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or as King James says, the valley of shadow of death, I'm not afraid. Why? Because you're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. Please note that he doesn't say God doesn't allow me into those valleys. He says, when I'm there, you're with me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love pursues me all the days of my life. And in the inference of the Hebrew here is, and when my life is over, I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David, like Simeon and Anna, put all of his eggs in God's basket. I'm going to follow you in this life, even through the dark times. And then when this life is over, I'm going to enjoy you forever. I'm going to be in your presence. You see, for the man or woman who puts his hope and trust in God, who puts his trust in the Lord, he's never alone, even at death's door. We're all afraid of death, or most of us. And the truth is, it's not death we're afraid of, it's walking through the doorway of death. But when God is your shepherd, even that, okay, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, be with me, Lord, of course I will. Of course I will, I promise to. When you put your faith in his promises, you have peace, even in the most unpeaceful of situations. David also wrote this. Give me a second. Actually, I'm going to skip that. Philippians chapter 4, 7. Would you put that up there? This is what Paul said. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your mind as you live in Christ. Isaiah referred to the coming Messiah as the Prince of Peace. We talked about that. When you make God your shepherd, and you put your trust in him completely. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about going beyond being saved. I'm talking about following Jesus in your life. And I think the church is fairly good at getting people saved. I think we're fairly lousy. 
at discipling them to be followers of Jesus. So I'm going to say it right now. Do not be a Baptist. Do not be a mem- uh, an assembly of goddess. Don't be a Bethelite. Don't be a Mormon. Don't be a Jehovah's Witness. Don't be a Catholic. You be a follower of Jesus. And there's a difference now. And it's getting wider and wider and wider, that difference. You follow Jesus. Thirdly, and we're round and third here. You're going to get out of here early. So you can buy me lunch. You can even find joy in discouraging times. You remember, uh, if, I, I mean, we talked about Mary and Elizabeth in this series. I'll get there in a minute, but both of them, remember the Magnificat, Mary, that's what they, we call it, the prayer of Mary. That was in the midst of a really weird life season. A virgin is with child? Yeah, right. Her, her fiancé doesn't even believe her. Look, I know you're accustomed to that story, but do you realize how dumb that sounds? You obviously don't. Virgins don't get pregnant unless God does something super miraculous. One thing I hoped you've learned from our Promises Kept series is that we all have one of those days or weeks or years And even in the midst of those, Christ can fill you with joy that defies your circumstances. Psalm 30, verse 5, David says this, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Sometimes the night can feel so long, though. Sometimes night after night after night, it it just carries on, and we wonder where God is. Sometimes joy feels so elusive and distant But for Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, the joy she found when Mary walked in, and I want to remind you that at the point Mary walks in, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She's she's old, Scripture says. So she has no reason to believe she's going to have a child. Her reputation is barrenness. That was a shameful thing in the Bible times. And even when Mary walks in, she is with child, but you know what the community was thinking. There ain't no way this baby lives. They were doubtful. She was probably afraid, but she takes time to celebrate Mary's supernatural pregnancy as well, because joy was found for her in the Lord's fulfillment of his promises. And Mary, joy is found while knowing that she would face scorn, disbelief, misunderstanding for her pregnancy. Why does she leave Bethlehem and go to be with her cousin? I don't know, maybe because she didn't want to have to have a conversation with Joseph right away. But she celebrated being chosen by God for such a wonderful and difficult task of being the mother of God's son. For some of us, Christmas is a joyful season filled with songs and celebrations and traditions and comforts. For others, the expectations of Christmas joy serves as a reminder of deeper pain and disappointment. Actually, for some of you watching this morning, just the pressure to have joy on Christmas Day is more than you can handle. I get it. There's a lot of pressure. It's almost like we pick one day a year to fake it. And I'm not being negative on it. I, well, you are, but I, I don't mean to be. But we want everybody in, the, in, in clothes that they don't normally wear. Some of you should not wear the sweaters you wear. I mean, we, we, we all act differently. It's like, oh, Merry Christmas. I don't like you, but we're going to eat together and all these things. We try to make the day something it can't really be deep inside. And that makes us more sad, more grieved, more depressed. But if you could actually return your focus to Jesus... 
If you and I could be less worried about the political system of this country and the banana republic it's becoming and more focused on Jesus Christ, we can have joy no matter what happens here. If we can return our focus on Jesus, his first advent, advent being the fulfillment of thousands of years of promises that were not fulfilled, and we can look forward to his second advent where he has promised us new life. Do you remember what his second advent is going to bring? Look at Revelation 21. John's recording it. He saw it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. And he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things will be gone forever. That, that doesn't move you too much? Seriously, that's cool. That's where I want to be. I want to be in the place where there is no tears, no more death, no sorrow, no pain, and all those things are gone forever. I, I, that sounds good to me. And it's what my soul longs for. You might be thinking, I just wish my husband was more attentive to me. Or I just wish my wife fill in the blank. Or I just wish I had this job. Or I just wish, I assure you that when you get that thing, if you ever get it, it's still not going to be enough. Because what your soul longs for is heaven. The presence of God. What he provides for his children. And those are promises he made to all who call upon the name of the Lord. If we can put our trust in the promises to fulfill all that he had told us to fulfill, that he would do, if we put our trust in his future for us, even in the midst of the weirdness now, we will find joy in what is to come over what is now, even if we're in pain. He will transform our weeping into joy in the midst of the struggle and pain like Elizabeth and Mary experienced because we know this will end well for us even if we can't see it in the moment. And I have loved this verse in the last couple of weeks. 1 Peter 1, look at these verses. They are phenomenal. You love him even though you have never seen him. That's us. Though you do not see him now, still us. Yet you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious and expressible joy. That's most of many of us. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Even that's pushing us to look for the future and not be satisfied with the present. If your present is awesome, be careful. If your present is lousy, have hope. YOLO's alive. You don't live once, you live twice. The question is, where will you go? Jesus left and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would have told you, when it's done, when the time has come, I'm going to come back and get you. The last thing that we talked about last week was we, can be, we have been loved and we can love others supernaturally. We all long to be deeply loved or at least accepted. Our songs and movies and TV shows and liter literature, liter literature are filled with themes of love, longing for it, celebrating it, and mourning its loss. And at Christmas, there's even a whole genre of holiday romance songs, like Santa Baby, that wonderful Christmas song honoring our birth of our Lord. 
Santa baby. Jesus is in the manger, yeah. I just made that up, huh? Did you just say you could tell? That was pretty good, though. Thank you. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. That's my gift to you. Man, our culture is... Now think about how weird our world is, and I know you know this, but our culture is captivated by love, and yet has there ever been a more divisive time in the name of love? Has this been a weird year? Forgive me for being a little political here for a second, but it has been weird to me that in the name of love there are people burning cities down. How stupid have we become? But that's what happens when sin reigns in your heart. Because what you don't seek is love, you, you seek acceptance, and you'll kill anybody who gets in the way. You see, the truth is that's not new. It's been around forever. And over the past year, the, divis the divisive things in this country have gotten even more divisive. And I would argue even in the church it's become divisive. There's people who left our church because they don't like how we handled COVID. Okay. Sorry to hear that. How did we get to this point? By taking our eyes off of Jesus. That's how we do that. Because if Jesus is our point, and we realize how much he loved us, okay, uh, Philippians 2. Louise, I, I know I'm messing you up. I'm throwing it all around. I want to remind you of exactly what happened on the first Noel. Here it comes. Philippians chapter 2. It's that next one. Almost there. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Keep going. What's his attitude? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Okay, would you leave that up there? I want you to think. I want you to let this sink in for a second. Well, what do you mean? Well, he was sitting in heaven with the, Father, the Holy Spirit and the Father, I know the Trinity, they're one, but they're three. I'm not going to explain that this morning. Only I understand it. You scoff. But the truth is that he had divinity. He, was, he looked like divinity. He could do anything. But he chose to give that up or empty himself of that. He did not think of that equality with the Father and the Holy Spirit as something to hold fast to. Next verse. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He didn't give up his divinity. He was still God the whole time, but the privilege of it. In other words, he didn't turn rock to bread without his father giving him permission to. He didn't raise the dead unless he looked up into heaven and said, Father, give me the authority. He gave that up. He even said, I don't know when I'm going to return. Only the father knows. He could have figured it out, but he gave up the right. He, he gave up his ability. He gave up his right. Still fully God. But he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He became one of us when he appeared in human form. This is, this is a huge thing. For nine and a half months, the second member of the Trinity was inside of Mary's belly. And then there's a question that I'll get. Somebody's going to text this to me. Do you think that Jesus really was in there? Yes! I mean, it's a weird, but we all wonder that, you know? He went down the birth canal, that slip and slide. He was born. They clipped his umbilical cord. So who's in charge for three years until he gets his mind straight? I don't know. There's two more members of him. But I do know he did that. And you know what's so shocking about that is I wouldn't do that for you. What? Okay, that wasn't nice. I probably wouldn't do that for you. But he would. 
all to restore what we screwed up in the garden. All to restore a relationship. And if he loves us that much, despite who we are, I mean, that is Emmanuel. That's my favorite name of God. I am an Emmanuel. Those are my two favorite names. Emmanuel means God with us. Every time, as Mary wiped his little face off, she was wiping the face of God. I love the song, Mary, Did You Know, don't you? It's a dumb song, though, because the angel told her. <laughs> Mary, did you know? Yes, I knew. Every time we sing that, she in heaven goes, yeah, I knew. And I was overwhelmed by it. Mary, did you know? Yep, I did. You try being me for an hour. I mean, that was, she did know. And what was she thinking about? And then the shepherds show up, these stinky guys, and they're worshiping, and they're explaining some weird angelic experience, and then they move out of the barn into a house, and then magi come from the east. We don't know if they're Asian or Iranian or Persian or what, but they show up with gold and frankincense and myrrh, and Simeon and Anna are all prophesying about them, and they had to be going, okay, this is weird. And he did that because he loves you, you, every one of you, because he loves you that much. Do you love people enough like Jesus loves people? Enough to wear a mask? Okay, I did that again. I'm sorry. Seriously, what won't you love? Won't we, what, what, what won't we do in order to love people? I mean, that, that's the thing. We love because we have been loved. It's supernatural. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to love. That whole Philippians 2, verse 5, Hey, Louise, I'm going to really throw you the verse. Yes, that's it. See, you're thinking like me, Louise. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What won't you do for kingdom work? What won't you do? I, I'm going to embarrass you, Dolores. Dolores is in the room, but she watches online faithfully because she loves my preaching. I'm kidding. But... She said something in last night's testimony that, I mean, we all looked at each other. I mean, it was just, she said that when her husband passed away, he was hunting with another individual. And at the funeral, he went to her and asked if she was angry with him. And she said, no, why would I be angry at you? Because I lived and he did not, and I couldn't do anything to save him. And she was talking with her girls at a later time about this, and she explained to her girls that it was better that her husband died than that man because that man didn't know Jesus. What kind of love is that? That would choose the death of your own spouse over somebody else because your husband is in heaven? That's Jesus' kind of love. And see, I think that as we wrap this up and we get close to Christmas, I think that we have to ask ourselves not... Do I still believe that Jesus loves me? Or how do I feel? Or what's going on? I think we have to ask ourselves, believers, whether or not we're loving like Jesus loved us. He's going to keep his promise to you. You will see his kingdom. If you have called on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's not in question. You will go to the place one day where there's no more tearing and no more pain and no more sorrow. The question is, can you put pleasure off for the moment so that you can serve him? knowing you'll have it in the future. Does that make sense? Now that's a Christmas message. The question isn't whether or not we will experience that. 
The question is whether or not we will put off personal pleasure that is fleeting, knowing it's coming so that we can serve others. Here's the good news, though. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you can. And here is my here's, here's my pleading, and then I'm going to play this video. I beg of you, child of God, do not enter 2021 like you entered 2020. Do not enter 2021 hoping that all the bad things go away. Enter 2021 realizing that the ministry opportunities for the kingdom of God have never, ever been greater. And run to the battle. If you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, you can be saved. While we sing, O come all ye faithful, the cry of the Holy Spirit is, come all you who are unfaithful. Will you play this video?
Josh, will you come up here, please? And he's like, why? Don't, just come up here. Bigger than you and older than you. Um, you're never too saved to not repent. And it's okay to run back to Jesus, for real. Find your joy, hope, and peace, not in your experiences, but in the God of your experiences. We have an exciting next couple weeks. Um, it's not like, okay, end of the year. Josh is going to be sharing with us next Sunday. You look like D.L. Moody, dude, only your beard's black. Kind of freaks me out. What are you talking about next week, Josh? You don't have to give the whole message away. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Philemon. Um, it's a great little book um, about forgiveness. Um, so Mark wrapping up about uh, what it takes to forgive. Um, the book is really about to what extent are we really asked to do that? To what extent do we really live out what Christ asked us to do? Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about it. <laughs> That's going to be a good message. Sure glad I'm not listening. But <laughs> no, I'm so excited. He, he, he's coming into town. I've been telling him I wanted him to preach. We're going to hear from him a couple times this year. But Josh and Allie, Josh grew up here. We discipled him. Then he went off to Moody, and now he's in full-time ministry for the king. We support him with crusade he and Allie, and it's wonderful to have him back. And then Katie's back. She's studying right now uh, missions and college. You know, God has blessed us with, with these young men and women that are serving the Lord, and what a privilege it is. So we're going to have a great couple weeks. Christmas Eve, don't forget, there's no 5 o'clock service, just a 6 o'clock. You can come here or watch online. We love you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas, and remember, your hope is not on the 25th. It's on his return the second advent. God bless you guys. See you Christmas Eve.